I don't think it's any uh, any secret that I love Christmas, and um, and all of the all of the traditions that uh, they go with it. Whenever I was growing up, Christmas was always uh, was a very exciting time around around my family, especially whenever I was a kid. I was thinking about that even when Stephen talked about getting up very early uh, this morning. We would wake up early on Christmas morning, and um, we didn't uh, uh, wrap. Presents. My parents didn't wrap our our presents. I guess it gave uh, uh, additional uh, confirmation of the whole Santa Claus thing. So when you when you came out of your bedroom, you walked into the living room, and they were all laid out there on on display with their boxes, and they were set up in different different places. And I can remember just wide eyed coming into the room and starting on this side and just finding my gifts rather than. Rather than my sisters, I really didn't care much about them. And the days prior to that, we would always go to to my grandmother's uh, on my on my mom's side. My my uh, grandparents on my father's side uh, lived in in Florida. They moved there in their in their older years, and the whole family would come together, and there would be this this massive dinner, and everybody brought whatever their special dish was, and. And uh, we just, we looked forward to it. It was a really small house. I can remember it being blazing hot because there was this uh, brown uh, wood cabinet stove that was in the middle of this, this small home. And, and uh, granddad didn't know how to run it any, anywhere other, anything other than just wide open. And so you put all those people in there. And uh, I can remember just sweating as a child and wanting to get outside. But... But now I look back; those are those are just just blessed uh, uh, memories. Um, I have fond memories of those times. But I want to tell you, I'm envious uh, of you this morning, especially if you're if you're here and you're young. I'm envious because you have added to your Christmas traditions the most important piece of all, and that's gathering with Christ's body to hear His word and and worship the Savior. Because that's what Christmas really, really is all about. And traditions are good. Um, they help us uh, remember things. They're, they, they create familiarity. Um, there's a lot of Christmas traditions that, that are out there that, that, are, that are wonderful. And they're for that purpose. If they're a tradition, that means that they are repeated over and over and we do them every year. And there's some comfort uh, in that. The, the downside or the bad part of, uh, of traditions is that we can get so routine in doing them that, that they, we miss the, the real significance behind them. We, familiarity breeds contempt, as, as one has said. And it's also possible that those traditions can morph over, over years and years and actually uh, even get a few things wrong. Um, and, and clearly, I can think of some things in the in the Christmas traditions, the, uh, it, whether in the church or outside of the church, that 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 have kind of morphed away from uh, the message of the Bible. And what we're going to do this morning? Last week we looked at uh, uh, the the incarnation, the birth of Christ, really the conception, and brought us up to. When, when Mary uh, con- was conceived uh, by the Holy Spirit, this, this, uh, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus, this morning we're going to look after and we're going to trace the entire Christmas story. 
I'm going to I'm going to show it to you in the macro. So we're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew and also in the Gospel of Luke this morning. We're going to be turning a few places, but it's going to be centered around the four confirmations that God gives to Mary and Joseph, confirming the promise that he made and the announcements that came through the angels. And when we're done, you're going to see the entire Christmas story. And it may look a lot different than, than what you, you, you think in your mind if you have crafted the Christmas story based upon the manger scene uh, or, or other things that, that you have heard, like, like the, uh, the little cartoons or I don't know what they're called, the little clay people. You remember the, the, the Christmas shows that used to be the little clay people, the little drummer boy and others? Those were on whenever I was a kid. And those fond memories are, 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 are wonderful. But we're going to see from the Bible this morning this, this entire story that all centers around the birth of Christ, that God's appointed moment, God Himself laid aside what He had known in, in heaven, 24-hour worship and adoration from the angels. Think of the scenes that we've been observing in the book of Revelation about what was happening in the throne room of heaven. The Lord Jesus Christ left that and was conceived in the womb of a daughter of, of Eve. And at that moment, he took on the, the nature of, of man, not sin nature, but, but flesh, physical flesh like you and I have. And yet he never ceased to be God. Matthew tells us that he was born as the promised one. He was born the son of Abraham and the son of David. He, he, he is the, he has the bloodline and he also has the throne rights and he is the, the son of, the son of God. And, and while we celebrate Christmas on one day or maybe two if you include Christmas Eve, the first Christmas was not one day, but it was a long period of time. It lasted more than a year. Did you know that? And involved many individuals beyond Mary and Joseph. So I want you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. And we're going to start in verses 18 through 21 and set the stage with that. And then we're going to go to the Gospel of Luke and pick up these other two confirmations. We're going to try to weave these Gospel stories together and see the big picture of the, of the story of Christmas. And God not only announces the fulfillment of His promise, but knowing not just Mary and Joseph's frame, but our frame, He graciously confirms His message. And He does it in, in four ways, in these four scenes. And these are four Christmas confirmations, as, uh, as, as we're calling them. He confirms it in the conception of John the Baptist. I'll show you some new things about that, even though we covered part of that last week. The announcement of the shepherds, we read that to the children last night. Was that not a blessing, listening to their answers? They knew the gospel story, praise the Lord. He also confirms it in the adoration of Simeon and Anna. And then finally, in the worship of the, the Magi, typically called the, the wise men. So that's what we're going to, to see this morning. But let's begin reading in verse 18 of Matthew chapter 1. It says, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. As his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. 
But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." Matthew says the birth of Jesus was as follows, and I showed you this last week. His mother Mary had been betrothed, that's a part of the story. And yet before the actual consummation of the marriage, the final component of the marriage ceremony, and I'll walk you through that this morning, before they'd come together, she was found with with child. Now we talked about last week how that's pretty hard to to comprehend, especially for, for Mary not only have you just heard from an angel that, that's described in Luke chapter 1 of what's going to, to take place, but you've never known a man and you, you're told that you're going to conceive a baby and not to mention who this baby is going to be. And, and likewise for Joseph, not only is your betrothed wife carrying a baby conceived by the Holy Spirit, but he is the Messiah foretold from the great prophet Isaiah. A verse that you've heard over and over in your traditions as a, as a Hebrew boy going to the, going to the synagogue. And both Mary and Joseph being Jews would have been looking for the Christ, anticipating this for years, and now they hear that he's going to be born to them. And not only that, but Mary and Joseph are, are quite young. Um, girls and boys were betrothed in their teenage years, some as young as 16, and, and boys at times a, a few years older. Uh, so these, these two that receive this message are, are no more than teenagers. When you add that into the mix, that's, that, that's pretty amazing. And they're betrothed. And so the, uh, Matthew tells us that, that, that a betrothal has already taken place, but the consummation hasn't. And a Jewish marriage had, had two stages, uh, kind of like we do, the engagement stage, and then there's actually the, the ceremony stage. But the engagement stage, or the betrothal stage, for, for Jewish uh, people was much more significant than, than a ring and a period of time that needed to pass before you could find the, the perfect day on, 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 the, on the calendar. The, the first stage, what we would call a, the engagement, was called the caducian. It was, it was the betrothal period. And the, the second stage was the hoopah, which is the actual marriage ceremony. And that word is taken from, from the, the, the Hebrew covering. If you've ever seen a Jewish wedding, the, the bride and the groom take their vows under a canopy. And there's, there are four poles, and there's like a, a covering, like a sheet, if you will, that's tied to the four corners, and four individuals stand, one with each pole, and they hold up this, uh, this, this canopy, and they take their vows under that, that canopy. It's a beautiful picture. It actually symbolizes the new home being created. This new home is erected, and the bride and the groom take their vows under this canopy, representing the new roof of the new home that, that, they're, that they're forming. The Bible does teach you leave father and mother, and you cleave to your wife. It's a, it's a, it's a, new, it's a new home. And typically, the four individuals that held the poles were, were, were people of honor, usually men of honor, and that's it's part of the, the place that we get the, 
the whole wedding ceremony, the bridal party. And marriages in those days were arranged by by families, many times without consulting the the couple. Um, there was no FarmersOnly.com or eHarmony in those days, okay? Marriages were arranged by families, and and a contract was was made, and it was binding. It was sealed with a with a dowry or a mohar, which is a, a sum of money or property paid by the groom's family to the bride's family. Now, now, guys, uh, there was no money that was that was given for you. I don't know what that says uh, about us, but. Uh, there was there was nothing that 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 was provided to the um, to the groom's family. Um, maybe it's uh, it's it's the idea that they're paying the paying paying the girl to marry him. I don't know, but in reality, the 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 dowry compensated for the girl's loss to the family. Um, family, there was a strong family unit, and and everybody participated, uh, whether it was in the agriculture or whatever the whatever the family business was. And to lose uh, a child in the midst of that would be significant. So the dowry helped cover the loss of uh, the family would uh, would suffer, and also helped cover the expenses because uh, they would be responsible for. Uh, for the for part of the wedding, and it also served as an insurance should anything happen, because this is a binding contract, the betrothal. As soon as that contract was made, it was it was binding, and the couple was considered legally bound. That's why you hear that that Joseph was considering putting her away, but doing it privately, not not to shame her. He would have had to break that contract, almost like what we would we would consider divorce. And he would uh, uh, would be legally bound until the second phase, which was the which was the home taking, and that was the ceremony where the the couple would would say their vows under that canopy, and then they would go and they would consummate the marriage, and there would be a celebration, sometimes up to uh, several days, if not a week, and that would happen twelve months after the the betrothal period, and it's in this period that. That Mary and Joseph find themselves. Mary's father has already made a contract with with Joseph's, and they're they're legally bound. Joseph would have referred to Mary as my wife, to whom I am betrothed, even though the the hoopah has not taken place yet. And it is to this young girl that the angel appears and says, "You're carrying God's son." I mean, that's that's pretty heavy. But God tells Mary not to worry. He's brought it to pass. And he begins some confirmations. And I want you to turn over to Luke chapter 1 and verse 34, because this is where the first confirmation comes in. It's the conception of John the Baptist. We're not going to spend a lot of time here, because we covered part of this last week. But this is a a confirmation of what the angel tells Mary. Look, if you would, at verse 34 through 37. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also, that Holy One who is born will be called the Son of God. 
Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, also has conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who is called barren. We talked last week about how this has been a logical question. How can this be? I, I, I haven't consummated the marriage yet. And Elizabeth is the confirmation. She's six months pregnant, past the age of childbearing. She was old in age. She was known as a barren woman. And God tells Mary how it will happen and then shows her that just as he can cause someone who's past ability to conceive, he can do that for someone who's before ability. And so Mary goes and stays with Elizabeth, and Mary's about three months pregnant. Look, if you will, at um, Matthew chapter 1 and verse 19 through 20. Here's the confirmation of Joseph, or the uh, Matthew story. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not wanting to put her, uh, make her a public example, and was minded to put her away, while he thought on these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And he says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And Joseph obeys. He, he doesn't put her away. And the two probably have no social contact. Mary would have went to Elizabeth, about three months pregnant. Elizabeth would already have been showing. She was about six months, uh, Luke tells us. And more than likely, upon returning from Elizabeth's house, Joseph takes, his, uh, his, takes Mary as, as his wife. As the pregnancy progresses, Joseph gets an order from the Roman authorities. Look at Luke chapter 2, verse 1. We read this last night. It said, It came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And the census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, every one to his own city. All this is still part of the, the Christmas story. As the pregnancy progresses, Joseph gets an order from the Roman authorities concerning the, the census. And it was about, as we said last night, about 80 miles from Nazareth to, to Bethlehem, about 80 miles south. Jews were typically exempt from uh, census because that was normally for draft purposes. There were census that were that were taken, and they were to count how many individuals, fighting men, that would be available that the Romans had available. The Jews would have been exempt from that, but this one is about money. It's about taxation. So everyone has to travel, including the Jews. And when they get to Bethlehem. After the, the, the marriage has, has taken place, after the betrothal period, sometime Jesus is born. Look, if you would, at verse 6. They get there, and it says, So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. That's all it says. I want you to notice it doesn't say the same night that they arrived. Typically, we, we get this picture of Mary riding on a donkey. 
And the minute that she arrives that night, she goes into labor and she has the baby. But the Bible just simply says that while they were there, it would have been a long journey to come to Bethlehem. And it would have been a long process in order to count all of those people. It wouldn't have happened just in a single day. It would have been over a period of time. And while they're there for that specific purpose, Jesus is is born. Look at what else it says. Verse 7. She brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, a a feed trough, because there was no room for them in the inn. And I want you to notice that this is where the idea of the, the, the animals come in in most of the nativity scenes, but no animals are mentioned here. There's, there are no animals, there's no wooden stable, there's no wise men. The wise men are going to come way later in the, in the story. But it says that after the birth of Jesus, um, she wraps him in swaddling cloths, strips of of, of cloth that they would have used in order to uh, to keep the baby warm. And she does this because there's no room for them in the inn. And normally whenever you see the, the traditional scenes, uh, you I can remember a, uh, a play that, that we did and Mary and Joseph come in on the same night and she's she's travailing in labor pains, just, I mean, getting ready to have the baby. And Joseph, in our play, was going around knocking on doors. He's knocking on all these hotels that are in Bethlehem. And it was no room, and the door slammed, and no room. And so finally, uh, an inn owner says, well, we don't have a room in here, but you can go over to the stable where the, where the animals are at. And the word for room, or for inn here is not a word like a hotel. It's, it's, a, it's a guest room. It was used uh, also in Matthew 14, 14, where Jesus says, go find a room for me in order to partake of the Passover. Mark 14, 14, I should say, whenever he goes in, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is the inn? Where is the, the guest room in which we may eat the Passover with with my disciples. Typically, homes would have had a room in order for people to stay. You might think of it like a guest room, if you have an extra bedroom in your house. And when privacy was needed for the, for the birth, obviously there's a lot of people there. There are relatives that are going back to their hometowns. There's a lot of people around. It's not a very good place to have, to have a baby. And when no room was found and no privacy for the birth, they went to one of the many limestone caves that, that littered the hillsides that were, that were part of the house, attached to the house. And it's also where they kept the, kept the livestock, which is why the, the, the manger is there. The food trough is, uh, is there. It kept the animals there to protect them from wandering off and also from, from wild animals, and they would let them out to graze, which is why you see the shepherds out in the middle of the field at, at night. And it's here where they receive the second confirmation, which is the announcement of the, of the shepherds. Look at verse 8. 
It says, now they were in the same country, shepherds living out in the fields, keeping over, keeping watch over their flock by night. These, these limestone caves, these places where they would have kept the, 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 the animals, when they would let them out, they would let them out to graze. Someone had to watch over the animals. And Luke tells us that the same night, the shepherds were out doing that, tending their flock. As we said last night, that means that they were watching for predators. And an angel appears to them and announces to them that Christ was born. And he tells them specifically where he was. And they show up and they find Jesus. Look, if you will, at verse 15. It says, So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they'd seen him, they made widely known, that would have included Mary and Joseph, the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those that heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. There was a confirmation. She was encouraged. And she pondered all these things. Can you imagine the wonder of the shepherds? Whenever they saw, they came in and saw the the baby. I'm going to get some water. Don't freak out here. I'm coming down from the pulpit. I did. Thank you. Been running my mouth too much the last couple days, I guess. I mean, the angels appear to the shepherds. They would have been amazed, obviously, at the angels. They would have also been amazed at what they found. It was a confirmation to them, and it was also a confirmation to Mary and Joseph. They haven't heard anything for about six months. I mean, Mary was three months old whenever the confirmation came from Elizabeth. Now, about six months later, they get another confirmation. I think it's easy for us, whenever we read the story, just to kind of pack everything together. Six months has passed since the last confirmation. And here is another. Mary and Joseph are included in the list of those that marveled at what the shepherd said. Look, if you would, at verse 21, because the story goes on. For seven days, Mary cares for the baby. And the Bible doesn't tell us where. It doesn't say that she remained in the, in the cave. But for seven days, she cares for the baby. And when the eighth day was completed for the circumcision of the child, according to the, the law of Moses, <coughs> the baby is circumcised and named. It says, now... When eight days was completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived. 
That would have been a ceremony as well with family and friends. It highlighted the obedience to the covenant of Moses, the covenant right. So after a baby was born, you waited a week, you waited seven days, and then the circumcision would have taken place. It would have been a ceremony, and that was also when the baby was was named. I remember whenever we had uh, Jared, you remember Jared was not supposed to be a boy. You remember what Olivia said when she found out she was planning on a girl? Tracy told him, we didn't have a girl, it was a boy. And there's this long pause, and Olivia says, yuck! That was her response. Well, we didn't have a name for Jared. So, normally, you know, we tell, well, the gynecologist, whoever says, what's, what's the baby's name? And you tell, well, we didn't know. So we named Jared in the hospital, it took us about a day. The baby was not named immediately upon birth in Jewish society. He was named at this official ceremony. <clears throat> and it would have been traditional for the name to, to be Joseph or related to Joseph's family. But here, it tells us that the baby, the child, is named Jesus, just as they were instructed. But Christmas goes on. Look at verse 22. It says, now, when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. This was also part of uh, a ceremony after the birth. Here's what was written in the law of Moses. Every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and offer a sacrifice. The child is set apart as unto the Lord. And a pair of turtle doves or two pigeons were, were offered if you were, if you were poor. This is another 33 days have to pass. Mary's ceremonial uncleanness. So a week passes, the circumcision and the naming of the child, and there's another 33 days that have to pass for Mary <clears throat> to become ceremonially clean. And then on the 40th day, they take uh, Jesus to Jerusalem. So Jesus is now about five weeks old. It's about five miles uh, north from Jerusalem or from Jerusalem to, to Bethlehem. And they offer sacrifice according to the law of Moses. And this is where the third confirmation comes in. It's the adoration of Simeon and Anna. Look at verse twenty five. It says, and behold, this is why they, they go to make the offering. There was a man in Jerusalem who was named Simeon. And this man was just and devout. <clears throat> he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And so he came by the Spirit into the temple on this specific day. And when the parents, that's Mary and Joseph, brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, Simeon takes the baby in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory 
of your people Israel. Here was Joseph and Mary doing what was instructed. They would have offered the two turtle doves because they were poor. I want you to notice that there's been no mention of the Magi, the wise men up to this point. They would have come into the court, which is about five football fields, this large area. They had the baby. They had the sacrifice. And there is this man that was sent there by the Holy Spirit, and he has a prophecy. He sees the baby, knows who Jesus is, takes the baby, pronounces this blessing over him. You can imagine Mary and Joseph, what they thought. And not only that, as he's doing this, there's another elderly woman. Look if you're at verse 36. All this is in the same scene. There was one Anna, a prophetess. And she was of great age. She lived with her husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow. She was about 84 years of age. And she did not depart from the temple, but she served God in fastings and prayers Night and day. This is a true widow indeed, as the Bible says. Coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke to Him, to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. She announces the same thing in prophetic fashion. After the sacrifice, they return to Bethlehem. It's part of the census, according to Matthew, and that's where the, the fourth confirmation takes place. Turn back, if you would, to Matthew chapter 2. Now you have the worship of the, of the Magi, or as we typically call them, the wise men. So here you have Elizabeth's conception, the, she- uh, the shepherd's announcement, Simeon and Anna's prophetic praise. You have a couple months that have that have gone by at least. And they're back in Bethlehem, and another long period of time takes place. They've been from Nazareth to Bethlehem to Jerusalem, back to Bethlehem, and their traveling is not is not over. Look at verse one of chapter two. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to to worship him. After the offering in Jerusalem, the couple and the child are now staying in a in a house. Look if you would at verse eleven. Here's where the wise men find them. It says that now when they had come to the house, not the manger, but the house they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented him, presented gifts to him, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. And we're not told where they're staying, maybe relatives Maybe the ones that offer the Magi's quarters, but they have this procession of what is typically called Magi. Now, I want you to, to notice that the Bible doesn't tell us how many come. There's not three kings. They're, in fact, these men aren't kings. They're king makers. That's what the word Magi indicates. They came because of kings. 
And this is a direct tie to the book of Daniel. Magi were out of the east, it says, which is the direction of Persia or Babylon. And they have a history that dates back to the book of Daniel. Whenever the Jews were in exile, they, they taught their, the Old Testament. And the Magi are looking for the Messiah from that, from that point in time. And there were a group of priests, these Magi, and they're skilled in the sciences and astrology, and they were counselors to king. That's where we, the word Magi is where we get the, the word magician. They're a very powerful group of people, group of men. They're known. That's why Herod gets really concerned. He's not only concerned about the announcement that there's one born king of the Jews, but there, but the confirmation to Herod that this is not just somebody making that claim is that the Magi come. Herod understands that the Magi, this procession of Magi, they're the kingmakers, and they're the ones that are going to anoint whoever the king was. So that's why he gets really concerned. Historians tell us that no Persian was ever able to become king without mastering the Magi's disciplines, and then they were crowned by the Magi. These men first go to Jerusalem because of the star, and then they show up at the house. And there would have been more than three. There would probably have been a large procession, personal soldiers and group of servants bearing gifts. I mean, think about this, rolling into Bethlehem. This would have been a scene. Everyone would have known what was, what was going on. And Jesus is now at least several months old, probably older than that. How do we know that? Because Herod, whenever he finds out that they don't return, he has all the babies killed from how old down? Two years old and down. So he's, he's no older than two, but he's probably older than just a couple months And look, if you will, at verse 16, Matthew chapter 2. It says, Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth a son. Herod sees that he's been deceived, and he has all the children killed under two years of age. Can you imagine what Mary and Joseph thought whenever this procession of... Kingmakers, Magi shows up at the door. And after these men leave, another extended period of time takes place. We're not told how long. They had a dream. And in this dream, Joseph is warned to flee to Egypt. Look at verse 13, Matthew chapter 2. It says, Now when they departed, that's the Magi, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to to devour him. It would have been no secret thing that the Magi had come. So they go to Egypt. It's about a 200-mile journey, probably to Alexandria. We don't know for sure. They're instructed to stay there. Until Herod's death, probably only a few months, counting the travel. The Magi's gifts would have been what they used to travel and to, to live on and obtain shelter while they're there. They don't, they're Jews. They don't have any family in, in Egypt. And verse 19 tells us that following Herod's death, they, they made their way back 275 miles to Nazareth where Jesus is raised and then they take him to Jerusalem once a year for for Passover. And that's where you find him staying behind at age age 12. 
So you have Mary from Nazareth to Elizabeth's house, three months. You have Nazareth to Bethlehem. Could have been a while before the birth. We don't know. You have the birth of the and the shepherds. You have eight days of the circumcision. You have 33 more days to Jerusalem and the offering of Simeon and Anna, the, their prophetic praise. You have back to Bethlehem and the Magi. You have Bethlehem to Egypt, over 200 miles and several months. And you have Egypt to Nazareth, and that was Christmas. There's a lot more going on than just the just the one night. And in all of that... God graciously confirms what He's already declared. And all of that for the reason that He was born. I want you to look back at our first passage in Matthew chapter 1. Look, if you would, at verse 21. You remember Joseph named the baby Jesus? The Bible tells us it was because of what the Holy Spirit had commanded. She will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. That was the reason that he was born. Save you and I from our sins. And that's the real meaning of Christmas. Now I wonder, as you listen to that story, do you marvel at how how gracious God is of confirming what he's already declared to Mary? I, I do. And Joseph, I wonder how many times God's done the same thing for you. I don't know your hearts. I don't know why you're here. I don't know whether you're visiting. I don't know if you come here every Sunday. But I wonder how many times God has confirmed to you. How many times have you heard this message? How many times have you heard that the message of Christmas is that Jesus is the Christ and that He was born to save you from your sins? And I wonder how many times, even after you heard that message declared to you, that God has confirmed that in some way. Through a relative that you know, maybe one of them coming to the Lord, to some event that's taken place that's, that's inexplicable, to the tugging on your heart from the Holy Spirit whenever you've, you've, someone has shared the gospel with you. Many times God has, has confirmed But in the end, even with all of these confirmations, those individuals still had to believe and they still had to obey. I mean, think about it. Mary, her confirmation was Elizabeth's pregnancy and she had to go to Elizabeth. She had to believe that and she had to go to Elizabeth's house. Joseph didn't put away his wife. He had to believe what the angel said. Mary's not showing at that point. And he has to not put her away. There was risk to that. The shepherds had to leave their flocks. What are they doing out in the middle of the, of the, of the field? They're protecting their sheep and they leave them that same night and they go find the baby. They had to believe the message of the angels and they had to obey and there was risk there. The magi had to see a star and believe the prophecies foretold and they had to travel all the way to Jerusalem and then they even believed what was told them in a dream. In order for Jesus to save you from your sins, to fulfill the purpose that He comes, you have to believe. You have to believe the testimony of God and then you have to obey. You have to turn from your sin and you have to turn to Christ. Believe what He 
has proclaimed about himself and what he's proclaimed that he'll do for you. And then you obey. You repent. I want you to bow your heads just for a moment. What a story whenever you put it all together. And yet the story all points to one specific truth. Which is that Jesus is the reason for the season. He came that He would save you from your sins. Do you know Him? If you do know Him, are you rejoicing over that today? Father, as we come before You, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the privilege to gather. We thank You for this amazing gift that You've given in Christmas. Father, I pray even this morning as we sing in response to Your Word, there's someone here that doesn't know You as Savior. Today would be the day that they wouldn't just hear, but they would believe the message and that they would obey, they would repent of their sins and have their eternal destiny changed all because of what Jesus did that began on Christmas night. We ask it all and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.